0: Hello this is Robin Harford from Plants and People podcast eatweeds.co.uk and foragingcourses.com I'm here with Viola Sampson who is a complementary therapist who has a passion for wild fermentation so hi Viola. Hi. And can you just give a bit of an introduction as to you know how, how did you get into wild fermentation what's this big kind of a Obsession that you have
1: <laughs> yeah, it is an obsession or a passion um, so my my background was well, I wanted to be a genetic engineer, actually, yeah. so I went to um, university yeah, absolutely um, to study genetic engineering, which meant that I did basically two years of a kind of medical training, which is how you did it in those days, medical biosciences. Um, But because I was interested in plants, and particularly wanted to go into crops, I also studied um, plant um, biochemistry and ecology as well throughout that time. Um, And so that ended up with me working with bacteria in laboratory settings. So that's sort of chapter one. Mm -hmm. Then there's a sort of long, wiggly journey that includes having gut issues after travelling to Southern Africa. Um, And, you know, potentially from before then as well, as we might talk about later. Um, And then I, I studied complementary therapy, studied craniosacral therapy, and the fermentation sort of landed in my lap, really, in terms of looking into gut health, Um, and the gut microbiome, which are the microbial communities in our gut, and discovering that actually we used to eat a lot of fermented foods, like every culture around the world has fermented foods, like sauerkraut or kimchi, or there's miso, um, to name just a very few, yoghurt, that's a really obvious one that most people... Um, can think of.
0: Sourdough, that kind of thing?
1: Sourdough, although that's more for taste rather than for the probiotics, for the bacteria, um, the health-promoting bacteria. Um, So, yeah, and then I basically, as soon as I got interested in that, I discovered someone called Sandor Katz happened to be visiting London, and there happened to be a space on his workshop And I leapt into it. In fact, a friend gave half of it to me for a birthday present. And it's just been a gift that's just kept on giving. So, yeah.
0: That's really cool. Because Sandor was a good friend of my plant mentor, Frank Mm. Cook. They did a double act in America that before, you know, fermentation and wild food kind of took off. And Frank would get everyone to go out and gather plants on day one. And then on day two, Sandor would take people through the process of fermenting them. Great. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: they're real natural buddies, I think those two practices
0: very much. Yeah. yeah. So, why why eat them? What's you know why not just get canned or um, vinegared? Why not preserve your plants in vinegar? You mentioned um, probiotics. Why not just go down to Waitrose and get Yakult or Yokult or whatever that horrible (laughs) bloody previous stuff? don't get me started on that, but... Yeah.
1: (laughs) Cool. Yeah, so um, this is the way we used to preserve our food um, up until very recently. So only, you know, a couple of generations ago. So it might be that your parents or your grandparents didn't have a fridge. So the fridge was invented not that long ago. Um so what what we used to do would be um preserve our food, our vegetables in salt um and the salt creates the environment for something called lactic acid bacteria. So they're bacteria that produce lactic acid and that increases the acidity of the ferment and that works very much like vinegar. Vinegar is actually acetic acid. So we're preserving uh, our food for right through the winter, some sometimes for years. Um, you can, for example, um, I think in Hungary you wouldn't want to eat a sauerkraut that was less than four years old, perhaps. Wow! You know, okay. Um, that's that's you know probably at the far end. I'm sure there are lots of Hungarians who eat sauerkraut at six weeks old, but who knows? Um, so yeah, this, and and what's really wonderful, particularly in this part of the world, sort of in in, um, in the temperate world, we get uh, a glut of vegetables through the summer and into the autumn, and then we can preserve them through the winter using lacto fermentation. Um, and then, so tin canning was another way that, recently, relatively recently in terms of human history, um, the that preserves food, and then so we've got tin canning, we've got refrigeration and also vinegar pickling, so once you could make vinegar commercially, and most vinegar that um, you can buy down at Tesco's or wherever is actually just made in a laboratory now, not the kind of old
0: fashioned wow, way. Wow, without the mother. Yeah. Wow, okay.
1: Um So it's just acetic acid, e. yuck, yeah. Does um, that
0: include the white wine vinegars and all that as well? No, no. Okay. It'll be
1: like the pickling vinegars, like the white, vinegar. or yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm saying that without going down to Tesco's and and reading up on exactly yeah. where they get their malt vinegar. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and that was a very quick way. So instead of waiting for the bacteria to do all the work producing the lactic acid, you could just quickly make acetic acid pour it on the vegetables and you've kind of basically got, in theory, the same thing. And now what we're seeing are people coming up with all kinds of health conditions, asthma, obesity, um, even mental health issues are now being linked to changes in our gut microbiome, so changes in the ecology of the microbial communities living there. So for me, it's really common sense that a food that we used to eat a lot of you know, perhaps every day, um, we don't eat at all now and our gut health is really in decline. Yeah. It's not the only reason it's in decline, but to me it makes absolute common sense to reintroduce these back into our diet and people really do report health benefits from it. Um, so one example is me. I didn't have a cold at all last year. You know, It's very rare for me to go through an entire winter without cold or flu and eating this my immune system has just been really boosted
0: so they're good for your immunity
1: absolutely yeah Well, wow. yeah.
0: okay so what kind of ferments are that i mean sauerkraut is the kind of the one that i normally say to people when i'm doing mm. a walk. you know you can ferment and i don't go too much into the fermentation side but you know, when people would kind of look at me quizzically, I kind of say, well, you know, you know, sauerkraut. Oh, yeah, I know sauerkraut. Right, OK, mm. well, that's a lacto-ferment mm. or a lactic acid ferment. well um, what other ones? I mean, they've got kimchi and career. And, yeah. well, and
1: you... oh, Show me something I can't ferment, actually. OK. <laughs> but that's me and a few other fermenting passionistas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kimchi. And what we think of as kimchi in the West is uh Napa cabbage, which we we um call Chinese leaf.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Um, big chili paste, uh a basic um kimchi recipe would be daikon radish, um fish sauce, um, pack it all into a jar, spring onions, usually something like that as yeah. well. Um, and that's, that's tradition in, in the, in the UK and in the West, that is considered kimchi, but actually there are a gazillion different kimchis, there are as many kimchis as there are Korean people making them, and they can, you know, like I say, ferment all the things. Uh, you can end up with anything in there. Um. Okay, because
0: I always thought kimchi was maybe more root-based, whereas sakura is more leaf-based. Yeah, is that, I no, don't know that that's, that's. I don't know true. that that's okay.
1: a. Well, it's not something I've come across. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I tend to. A bit. They both sauerkraut and kimchi have the basic same basic method, which is dry salting, which we can go through here. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what you put in them, it's really up to your own. Well, it, your creativity is the only thing that hold you back, really, because. You can try different flavors, and they may well turn out in yeah lots of different ways that you couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Um, so definitely worth experimenting. In terms of other fe- other lactoferments, um, yogurt is a lactoferment. Okay. So if you look on the side of a yogurt pot, you'll probably see lactobacillus, um, acidophilus. They're lactic acid bacteria, and um, it's the la- it's the acid that curdles the milk and right. thickens the yogurt um, and also preserves it.
0: Okay, so other ways to create ferments without salting?
1: You can you can choose not to use salt. It's a little bit harder um, in that the salt favours the environment that lactic acid bacteria prefer. So. Fermentation is transformation by bacteria. It's transformation of a food by bacteria. Rotting is transformation of food by bacteria. Now, what makes a difference between our rotting leftover mashed potato and our sauerkraut is the fact that it's lactic acid bacteria doing the transformation. Right. Lactic acid bacteria like salt. Other bacteria don't like salt. So it is absolutely possible to ferment... Um, make sauerkraut that's salt free it's just you may have a few that don't work out quite so well and you have to tend it a little bit carefully to make sure it doesn't get mold um but yeah so So how would you
0: do um, well you're going to take us through the basic principle of making a a sauerkraut yeah
1: which we can do now yeah yeah sure yeah so i thought it'd be really nice for your listeners to have some chopping because it's one of my favourite sounds actually. Yeah, sure, well,
0: let's see how it works out <laughs> So,
1: yeah Let's, yeah, let's see if the mic picks it
0: up So, take one <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so first of all, I should say, I don't follow recipes. Right, okay um, So I will talk through as clearly as what I can in, in what I'm going to be doing here But I, right was, I will
0: say, just to interrupt you, that Viola's that, um, put over a. A PDF handout, which yeah. we can give to people who listen to this podcast sure. episode, um, under the resources section on the podcast page, yeah. which they'll find at eatweeds.co.uk. Just click the podcast link and you get to it.
1: Great, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a bit of a a bucket chemist, a random cook, intuitive cook. Um, because when I was a biochemist I had to sort of pipette things at you know one microlitre which is you know one five thousandth of a teaspoonful of liquid so I'm not into into into, um, any kind of measurements at all as you discovered so um, I've got here a white cabbage and I've got a red cabbage because actually I want to make something that's pink Cause okay. I like colours.
0: So um, colour's important for you? You don't yeah. just want to have this kind of green, mushy look?
1: I, I, sometimes I go for the green, mushy look, but for this one, I know I quite like a bit of pink on my plate. And I've also got a quince, um, oh, wow. which is a windfall from this little, uh, little park at the end of my street. Um, so I don't know if that's technically foraging or scrumping, or just picking up a quince on my way to work. Gathering. I'm Gathering.
0: Not really, I'm, not re- I've, I've, I'm really trying to get away from this thing, oh, I'm a forager. I'm actually a gatherer, because you have hunter-gatherers, hunter you know. Well, I like, certainly you know, we gathered this. Forages, I was well we?
1: chuffed. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm going to chop off the bruised bits of the quince.
0: Have you done quince before? I have,
1: yeah. I've got the en- end of a quince sauerkraut at home, which is now, it's almost a year old. Okay. Um, and I've been eking it out because it's really, really delicious. Um,
0: so basically anyone who's who's got gluts of fruit or vegetables yeah. and you don't want to compost it and you recognise there's still food there, this is a perfect way to preserve it. It's a great way to... Poisoning yourself potentially with botulism, which is what canning can do. Yep. I remember Sandor saying that he doesn't know anyone in any culture that's ever been poisoned by a lactic acid ferment or wild ferment.
1: It's true, actually, There's um, that there's more food poisoning incidents from raw vegetables, salads. So actually, you could say it's actually safer to eat. lacto-fermented vegetable
0: but would you would you sit down and have a whole meal of wild ferments I mean are they relishes (laughs) they're more relishes rather than yeah
1: I eat a lot I I would say to anyone you should start off small especially if you are someone who has gut issues um because you it's an ecology you're you're talking about you wouldn't sort of well, you might completely rip up your garden and plant a whole load of different things in there. But um, if you're really working with your garden, you, you introduce things slowly and see where the plants like to take up their, see where their favorite habitat is. So right. it's very much the same, I'd say, gardening your microbiome. Um, so I've got, I'm chopping up the cabbage. I'm chopping it small. So there's a lot of surface area for the bacteria to feast, which is basically what they're doing. They eat, they eat the sugars and the and the um, other goodness and the vegetables, and convert it to lac- or they produce lactic acid as their waste product actually. And then, as they produce the lactic acid, the that's going into, a bowl, going now. into a bowl. That's what that sound was. <laughs> Um, as they produce the, the lactic acid, the acidity of the ferment increases, and the bacteria that like uh, less acidic environments start to die off, and a new set of bacteria grow in. So, there's different phases okay. according to the acidity of the ferment.
0: Because I've experimented with ferments using whey. Aha! Uh-huh. instead of just salt which actually was, was really really interesting in the sense that i in order to get the whey because you can't just go out and buy it and i had to make you know this kind of um ricotta cheese so this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. cream cheese and and the byproduct of that is whey, and it was like oh right okay and i realized that i've been going down to shops buying cheese and i totally missed out this whole kind of cycle that cheese making goes through mm-hmm. So where's the whey the whey normally is given to pigs or whatever. I mean we can actually use it to preserve our foods as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm not a massive fan of using whey in ferments. Okay. I think it's a great way to use up what's, you know, actually kind of a waste product actually of, of cheese making. Yeah. Um but what you do is you skip the stages of fermentation. So you're going right in you're not going getting that natural succession oh, really? of species. Oh, really? okay. Um, and what we're doing here is something called wild fermentation. So whey is a starter. So you're you're putting bacterial species in there. the The bacteria we're using here are soil bacteria. Okay. Um, that are found in the cabbage. Um, and yeah, so then there's this like I said a kind of natural succession and what I encourage people to do is actually when they make it is taste not only to get to know your ferment really well but keep tasting at different stages because there's different bacteria um, at at each stage So
0: So how long would you normally leave a ferment before it's kind of really it's yeah, I mean, you start eating it 24 hours later, because it's still quite salty, isn't it?
1: So, kimchi um, is traditionally eaten within the first 10 days. Really? Yeah, first couple of weeks. Okay. Um, And like I say, sauerkraut, four years. Um, I always say, eat it when you want it, and when you like the taste. Um, It gets softer the longer you leave it, um, and it gets more acidic. Um, so you get a real, people prefer their sauerkrauts or their kimchi at a different age. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like to think that you get the one, you go for the one that you need the most. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that, I like the sensory side of it, you know, it's like, forget the, forget the calendar and the diary, Eat eat it when it's appealing.
1: Yeah. And I would say also, I mean, there are loads of different really great um, things like pickle pipes and they're they're all kind of pickling paraphernalia that you can put on the top of your jar that lets the gases out but doesn't let um, the air get into your ferment. Right. That prevents mould growth. Yeah. Um, But I think just doing it really simply with a normal jar is you know cuz you keep opening you keep tasting it. Yeah. Uh, that that's my favorite way of doing it.
0: And What kind of temperatures are you kind of keeping it in? Are you keeping it in the fridge? Are you keeping it in or just on your on your kitchen top?
1: So just on my kitchen side somewhere not too warm, not too cold. I mean, nothing, you know. I don't have a thermometer or anything. Um and I tend to just keep it away from direct sunlight. Just, yeah. Um but you know, I'm, I'm not particularly precious about it, I literally just stick it anywhere I've got space because mm. they do take up a lot of space. In terms of the fridge, well, fridge is a fermentation slowing device, yeah. right? You put your ferment in the fridge when it's as crunchy or as soft and as te- the taste that you like it, so that might be any time between a few weeks to a few months. Um, and then um, what it does is it slows down the fermentation, it, it doesn't stop it altogether. Mm. Uh, so it will carry on fermenting slowly Uh, so yeah so there are times that you might want to put in the fridge so I have a bowl full of a very pretty mix of red and white cabbage shredded Um, I'm going to grate a bit of this lovely uh, quince as well so the last time I did this I chopped the quince up into little bits but actually it stayed really sort of chewy for a long time and the 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 cabbage got nice and soft so this time i'm grating it yeah so it's a constant learning process
0: okay so we've got grated quince Mm -hmm. Red cabbage, white cabbage, just sliced up. Yeah. Nothing not too fine, not big chunks. Like you said, you want the surface area. And what are we doing there? We've got salt.
1: So we've got salt. This is there. But
0: not just any old salt. You can't just use Saxo salt.
1: You can actually use any old well, salt. Know, salt. It will work. Really? Yeah, oh, it okay. will work. Um, iod- the iodized salt tends to discolor the vegetables. It may reduce some of the bacteria as well. I normally, use iodine to sterilise things, but um, it it does work, so it doesn't kill them off altogether. Okay. But I go for I go for sea salt. Usually, I go for a nice grey sea salt. Yeah. Um, because the grey indicates that it's full of minerals. Okay. And another really great thing about lactoferments ferments is that they are. The digestion of the bacteria make the minerals and nutrients more bioavailable to us, so we can absorb them more easily. So you get some added um, added nutrition depending on the colour of the salt that you use. Right. So you can use a lot of people like to use pink salt, rock salt, Himalayan salt. Himalayan.
0: If you're in India, sorry. I'm, I've just come back. So, I've, you know, people go, Himalayas. I don't like, know, it's Himalaya, actually. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it's from the Indians. Oh, it? They pronounce right. it? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, well, Himalayan salt. <laughs> um, I don't like using that because it's mined.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: well, it's rock salt, isn't it? It comes out Uh-oh. of Himalayas. Yeah, of <laughs> Big holes in the earth. Big hole in the Himalayas. Wow, okay. So, yeah, so sea salt is... Well, it's essentially renewable, isn't it? You can, so I always go for the grey sea salt, or a slightly whiter one. Um, So, yeah, this is my bag of sea salt. And uh, again, sorry folks, we've not got measurements here. I'm going to do it by taste. So what I'm going to do is sprinkle on a pinch, a healthy pinch. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be massaging it into... Into the cabbage, so.
0: And that's a real squeezing between your hands and fingers. Yeah. Um. As you were wringing out a cloth almost.
1: Yeah, and you can see already. You can see that's getting really juicy.
0: Oops. So the people are listening. I mean the. The amount of salt is really, just start with a little bit, and a little bit obviously is not really quantifiable, but use your <laughs> brains, yeah, it's kind of common sense stuff, just a quarter of a teaspoon is probably in a bowl that's got about 500 grams, 700 grams of cabbage. Um, and just keep working it, and you want just you you know you've got the right amount of salt when.
1: Well, I aim for it. it's it's really when personal the taste. Out. Well, yeah. mm, it's done to taste actually. Oh right, okay. Um, so, like I say, some people prefer not salt, not to have salt at all, and that might be because they've got a medical condition or they just don't like the taste of salt. So, after I've done a bit of. Massaging, so the salt, yeah, the salt does pull out the juices so it does make this bit a lot easier. And in fact, you could just salt it and leave it a few, a few hours and you don't have to do quite so much um, massaging, um, so I'm going to taste, apologies to anyone who's got that thing where they can't bear to hear people crunching that. Mm. I'm going to go for a bit more salt. So okay. I like to aim for the saltiness of olives, Okay. so it's sort of yummy salty. Right. Um, so I'm going to go for another good pinch.
0: Saltiness. That's the way of explaining. So I like using as little salt myself. Because I mean, some people, some people used to used to kind of quiz me in a kind of um, confrontational way, like, "Yes, but it's salt and salt's really bad for us." And and then someone who was a Um, a fermenter said, well actually the salt is for the veg for the ferment, it's not for the human, which I don't know whether that's that's true, but it sounded good, (laughs) so you're just really mashing it,
1: and so you can start seeing now I'm picking it up and squeezing uh, it Oh
0: yeah right yeah yeah yeah
1: and you can see like you said earlier like wringing out a cloth you can start seeing the juices um coming out as I squeeze into the bowl
0: yeah
1: so let's just have another taste of that so I reckon that well, fits would you like get to in
0: there without permission <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you reckon Mm. It tastes the quince as well, mm. right? It's really nice, isn't it? Nice. Um, so now we get our jar, and I think clip-top, clip-top jars are the best. Yeah. Um, but you can use any jar. Um, so this is about 500 mils I tend to use. We won't go for measurements. I yeah. think 750 or a litre jar is a good... Um, yeah. A good one to start with so let's start packing it in here and starting off with a little bit and squeezing it down into the bottom of the jar and what you'll see is the juice is starting to rise up and what you're aiming for is a jar with the veggies really pushed and packed down in and a little layer of, of um, Juice is over the top. Right. If you haven't quite managed to make enough juice, you can add a little filtered or, or bottled water. Yeah. Um, don't use chlorinated water because chlorine is um, there to kill the bacteria. You so. know,
0: I've I've I just use my tap water. Do you and it works fine? Uh, it works absolutely fine. Now I am in Devon, right. so we have hard water. Uh huh. Run soft, so that may make a difference. But I, I, yeah, I don't normally bother, right. which I know is heresy. Okay. Yeah, it's probably health, just me being a bit
1: precious. Right. So, I'm just pouring in the last of that juice. So,
0: and you can pound down, it. I mean, I use, occasionally use a, um, a rolling pin. Yeah. A rolling pin just to kind of, or more. Squish good, it down
1: further. Just squish yeah. it down a bit further. So the reason you're wanting a layer of liquid, and you want the layer of liquid to be there really throughout the time that you've got your ferment um, bubbling away on the side is um, because the lactic acid production is what's called an anaerobic process. It happens in the absence of oxygen. Okay. So you need to make sure that your vegetables are covered with the liquid. Um,
0: you know, I, I've just drunk a glass of this London water. I wouldn't make my ferment with London water. <laughs> <laughs> if that is disgusting taste of water. <laughs> What is it? 18. It's like urine processed 18 times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Homeopathic,
1: homeopathic sewage. Yeah. Oh my God. It says
0: pouring into <laughs> up another glass just because I feel really thirsty.
1: It was all that salt you just ate on the on the chopped up vegetables? Um. So yeah. So now it's just about uh, you put a lid on it. Um. And the reason I say clip top jars is because they've got this rubber seal around and. In the early stages of fermentation, um, say the first sort of 10 days, uh, depending on whether it's a hot environment or a cold environment, um, about the first 10 days, uh, you get a bacteria, it's a bacteria called Okay. Um The name is perhaps irrelevant, apart from the fact I really like it. Um, and they produce carbon dioxide. As well as as the acid, and the carbon dioxide stu- stu- carbon dioxide starts bubbling up through the vegetables, and if you have a lid that's on here that's screwed on tightly, you have a glass bomb basically. Yeah. Um, and many a many a bottle and a jar has exploded in a fermenter's household. So I like to use the clip top jars because they've got this little rubber seal and you can just the rubber seal will blow if it gets highly pressurized but you can also just let the pressure out so they, you know they've got that little tag on the side and you yeah. knew what they were for you just pull that and it just
0: goes pshht. they call it burping don't they yeah burping your ferments yeah yeah it's yeah. quite a cute phrase i think it
1: is slightly yeah. rude <laughs> yeah so burp your, fer, burp your <laughs> ferments daily yeah um is is my recommendation um, certainly if you're not using one a jar with a rubber seal and then you just taste and watch and enjoy
0: okay so you do actually you do clip it
1: I've tested it now by mistake and and the rubber seal does blow if you forget to burp
0: great but okay because I was under this impression that because the way I've done it is I would get to this stage of having my salted vegetables in the kilner jar I would leave the top off mm-hmm and all I would do is just put a Ziploc bag with water and just keep it in the top. And I keep it like that for a week for the ferment to get going. And then I would clip, clip it shut.
1: Okay, great. So that is one way of doing it. I've got, I, I don't like plastics anywhere yeah, near my ferment. Yeah, so of course. Yeah. I don't use them.
0: Or boiled stone or something a like that. A boiled stone is great.
1: I've, my, I actually use like really heavy glass nightlight holders. Okay. Um, so as long as you don't have coloured glass, because you don't know what the colours, what toxins are in the colour, um, and you don't have antique glass that so could have lead in it, lead in it yeah. um, then you're safe with pretty much any glass. Okay. But yeah, boiled pebbles is another one. Okay. Um, and that, so the reason you have that is you, that weighs the vegetables down so they stay underneath the liquid. Another thing you can do is literally just get a spoon every day and just press the vegetables down. and. Yeah. Because what you don't want is the vegetables floating to the surface and getting mould growing on them because they can become a little island that mould yeah. can grow on. So that's the reason why you need to keep it submerged.
0: And if you do get mould, do you have to throw it all out?
1: So that is really a personal decision. Um, I'm someone who will scoop stuff off. Sandor Cats is someone who scoops stuff off. Yeah. Other people wouldn't do that. They prefer to throw it away so
0: yeah I would encourage people just to scoop yeah I mean I made I made some brined red peppers the other day with my four year old granddaughter and she did all the work Um and then I stuck them on a the shelf in our bathroom and I went away and I'd forgotten I came back and there was this hair monster <laughs> coming out of the jar yeah um, and I just literally took it it was like a little cap and, just it
1: just it and it just came away and it just
0: came and I took out the one bit of pepper that had gone, you know, funky, and they're fine. They're Hummy. absolutely fine. Yeah. I mean, why throw that away? Yeah.
1: Well, there are people who would argue that um, the mould, its little roots, um, the mycorrhizae, uh, are so small that you can't see them, yeah, and they can go right through the ferment, or the spores can, and so I think it really okay. is a, it is a personal decision, personal, but yeah. if you're quite happy scooping a bit of mould off the top of a jam then you're going to be someone who's quite happy scooping a bit of mould off the top of a ferment. And yeah. to be honest, if you've been waiting for a ferment for several weeks or months, yeah. the last thing you want to do is throw it all away. But, you and know... And smell as well, isn't yeah, it? I smell, you know, it it's oh yeah, it. I
0: think, if it smells it, it's appealing, keep it. If you're suddenly yeah. wanting to retch, then...
1: Yeah, you know, and it well. might, you know, it depends how far it's gone down. And I would always scoop off a good layer as yeah. well. So, yeah. So that's... Yeah, that's that's a very quick tutorial isn't it um
0: and so that's then just left for as long as you want really yeah keep
1: finished. tasting and enjoy when you've when you've got it the ferments don't last that long in my house because yeah. i like i they're too yummy
0: yeah so just to recap you chopped up some cabbage um not too really really fine but not big chunks either just as you would normally chop a carrot, cabbage for a salad. You added salt to taste. Yep. Not salt by quantity, but salt to mm-hmm. taste. Um, you mushed it all over, between, crushed it between your hands and fingers like wringing out a, a cloth um, till the juice started coming out of the vegetables. Then you packed it into your the jar, you pressed it down, and you got a layer of liquid just above the, the vegetables. Um, and that's it.
1: Yep, yeah, and you just make sure you keep checking, keep checking, just, nothing's floating.
0: Yeah, and just keep keep it submerged under that liquid, because yeah. well, if it's under liquid, it's not going to rot. Yeah. It's not going to grow hair. Well,
1: all the, all the mould spores and the yeast spores are going to be coming from the air. So right. the less contact there is with the air, the better. So, yeah, keep your lid on it um, and keep burping it for at least the first couple of weeks, I would I think. And then the carbon dioxide slows down, the carbon dioxide production slows down. And you'll see the bubbling sort of gradually stops.
0: Yeah. So thanks for doing that. It's been really good. it would be great to see how these sound effects come out. Yes. You're chopping cabbage and raging quince <laughs> and mushing vegetables to <laughs> in your hands.
1: So what I'm really passionate about in this stuff is that it, we're working with soil bacteria here. And this is just one further example of how our health, our human health, is intimately linked to the health of the soil, the health of our environment and the land that our vegetables come from. So um, I always use organic vegetables for that reason, because organic farming tends to take care of the soil in the way that industrial farming doesn't. So I think... um, Another reason that we're getting so many uh, health problems that are now being linked to the health of our microbiome is because of things like industrial farming damaging the soil. It's because there's such a great distance from uh, farm to plate, like people aren't living on the land anymore, people aren't getting soil under their fingernails and in their mouths. Um, And, so yeah, so introducing these foods is one way to support our health, but then so is you know, taking care of the land. Um, yeah, so.
0: So you were talking about you know, the cesarean birthing and, and how, how the developing fetus uh, needs actually to have certain types of bacteria, but in our modern way of living, those often are not part of the developmental process of the, the yeah. human Yeah. when it's forming. Yeah, so. so
1: that's another way, it really kind of links into our, our sort of obsession with sterilization. So um, thanks to wonderful developments in surgery, uh, basically there's this, this misconception that healthy bodies in healthy environments are bacteria free. Sure. And we now know that's really not the case. So birth is a really good example of this. Um, and other sort of standard medical practices where you're quick to use antibiotics and get rid of the good bacteria. Um, we're now seeing how important those bacteria are. Um, so. The womb, until very, very recently, was thought to be a sterile place. We yeah. now know that the placenta has a unique uh, ecosystem and um, unique microbial community there. That actually, they think, actually starts in the mother's mouth. Wow! Amazingly, the bacteria travel through the mother's body through and set up home in the placenta. Incredible, mind-blowing stuff. Wow. Um, and also the umbilical cords and researchers have uh, analyzed the umbilical cord and the developing baby's gut and the baby is born with bacteria already inside Um, what also happens in a natural birth the baby comes out through the birth canal and it's great we're born head first and facing our mother's anus we get a gob full of bacteria on the way out And that bacteria, they're lactic acid bacteria, again, um, lactic acid bacteria live in the vagina. They keep the the environment acidic there, which prevents other infection, just like it prevents mould growth on our ferments. It it helps keep our bodies uh, healthy. Um, And those lactic acid bacteria in the baby's gut, ready to digest the first milk, first breast milk, ideally. And again... The bacteria in breast tissue that um, that then populate the the baby's gut as well, um, which boosts the immunity. Which boosts the immunity again. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so it's called seeding the microbiome, which is a lovely phrase. Mm. Um, a cesarean baby doesn't come out through the birth canal. Obviously, their guts are populated um, actually from the bacteria in the environment of the hospital. Now we know that. Know what the bacteria in the hospital yeah. are, um, so and then hopefully the parents' skin, the bedding of the hospital, so they there there are a lot of autoimmune issues, things like asthma, that are much, much more prevalent for cesarean babies and ongoing gut issues. So I attribute a lot of my gut issues that brought me into lacto fermentation to being a cesarean baby. right. Um, so you just got a bit that bit sort of a you know, tougher start in life. And then, of course, I was a very outdoorsy kid. I was handfuls of soil in my mouth and stuff like that. So that, you know, that really helped over the time. But definitely um, getting that, uh, that first mouthful. And there are medical trials now of taking a swab of uh, the mother's birth canal, um, mother's vagina, and putting that in the mouth of the caesarean baby and right. and it they really it really does rectify the, the wow, gut the, wow.
0: yeah it's funny because I, I came back from india a month ago and and i had a big discussion with the Ayurvedic doctors and the tibetan doctors there and they were saying you know the importance of eating with your hands because mm. over here in the west you know we have knives and forks and it's considered a little bit kind of weird if you start you know at a dinner party tucking in with your hands and that actually really the importance of the bacteria on your hands hmm. to keep you healthy which is why in India they eat with their hands yeah um so it's you know anywhere where we can introduce bacteria you know you know pick that p- that potato out of off the table with your hands and pop it in <laughs> irrespective of the disapproving looks from whoever <laughs> parents often mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do it because any way that we can introduce, you know, healthy bacteria, like you say, seeding the biome, seeding the microbiome, seeding the microbiome yeah. is is good yeah. and can only.
1: I mean, there, yeah, there are there are sort of sensible um, precautions to take around, you know, uh, but it's the it's yeah it's that yeah, sterility. Yeah, Basically. although there's more bacteria on a mobile phone than there is on a toilet seat. Really? Yep. Wow. So, um that makes, you know, makes you think, doesn't it, in yeah, terms it of our, what what's healthy and what's unhealthy and, you know, a healthy environment isn't necessarily bacteria-free. And then of course, actually I think more important than anything is getting out of your home, the the things like antibacterial hand washes and all the other horrendous chemicals that I know you don't have in your home. Um, because, yeah, that's, it's destroying our health in lots of different ways.
0: Great. If people want to get in touch with you, because you do run wild fermentation workshops up here in London, don't you?
1: Yeah, London and, you know, nearby. Okay, yeah.
0: so the southeast basically. So yeah. where, where do they get hold of you?
1: So they can go to my website, which is uh, violasampson.com. Okay. Um, and there will be a link there that will take you through to the wild fermentation workshops. So I also teach complementary therapists about the microbiome. So the bacteria that are essential to health, um, bacteria and viruses and yeasts and other fungi. And... Um, so yeah, the link is off that page.
0: Okay, great. And where this like I said earlier, where this podcast episode is, on my website there is links to Viola's website and also to the PDF handout. That will basically talk you through more of different funky ways of playing with funky ferments. Thanks a lot, Viola.
1: Great. Thanks very much.